new on CuriosityStream. Have researchers figured out a mathematical formula for success? A clearer understanding of how success happens could lead us to change the rules. Gain a new perspective on getting ahead. It's science of success. And the U.S. won the space race, but not without help from the Nazis. They were just years ahead of us. Meet NASA's rocket scientists of the Third Reich on the moon landing and the Nazis. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. I feel like we did this so recently like go. happy sunday happy sunday TK. every week daryl no rest okay no you rest. see the smoke the, the people want the answers you see the mirrors we TK. gotta give them we gotta give them the answers daryl okay i'm so excited for this uh discussion i think it's a great episode today we uh oh, we got a real treat for God. everybody I am People so excited. People and we have come through. I have a list. I have a list here in front of me of all of the things that I want answers for, TK. I'm, I'm fired gonna, up. I'm going to try I'm gonna and just, stay calm. I'm just, yeah, I'm going to make sure that you stay on the right side of the Toronto City Planner's office and, uh, you know, keep everybody as, uh, you know, happy to be here as possible. That's my job. Uh, That's my role today. Hopefully I can get... Uh, down to some of the thought process that we uh, see, you know, being used. I'm a, I'm a, I'm on the bottom of the totem pole for for planning expertise uh, today in today's discussion. So you may I'll be surprised. I'll, I'll be more I'll be more of a guide. No, come on, I'll be more of a guide. You know, this guy's a senior planner. This is serious in a couple of serious wards. Yep, this is well done. This is a well cultivated guest. Shout outs to the, uh, booking, the booking department. Yeah, he's got a good he's got a good January lined up. It just December has been tough. Holidays mm. are tough. Yeah. Happy holidays to Again. all the listeners. Yes. Right? Happy holidays. Yeah. What is I it? Boxing you day Christ- today? I hope you enjoyed your Christmas. I hope you had uh, a wonderful uh, you know time not meeting with your family or in reduced uh, gathering limit sizes. Um, I'm glad that you've got no plans to go to any of your favorite places. Oh my God. Uh, or sorry, sorry to hear because uh, capacities have just been stripped down. It could be that by the time this airs, like things could be drastically different drastically. by this afternoon. Now, what if you were to do like an over under here, would you say that they're going to get better or worse over the course of the holidays? I'm watching some significant increases in the cases. Yes. I'm also seeing significant increases in the amount of testing. Okay. Which probably do those correlates. those two things go hand in hand? They do. Well, yeah. so if you follow the science, like yeah. you need, um, you know, you need people to have it in order to have cases. So likely the amount of people infected are much higher than the amount of cases recorded, right? Uh, Especially on this new one that uh, gives you the heard, sniffles. And I heard then, if, you don't, if you don't test anybody, then nobody will test positive. You test two people and one test positive, it's only 50%. I like those odds. Yes. Only one of good two odds. people. Only one of two people have it. Yeah. So anyways, maybe, that's, that's all stuff that you know, or, I think we're all or, tired of. Yeah. They could both have it and both be asymptomatic. 100% of people tested. Have it and are asymptomatic and yeah, nobody yeah, yeah. gives a shit anymore. I've, I, I was talking to people at the restaurants. I'm talking to the gym owners. I'm talking to the business people who have these um, clouds of distrust from the government over their heads saying, you don't know how to run your business. You don't know how to keep people safe, you know? And uh, they all seem to be very positive. They're like, they're not, they're not too stressed about it right now. I think they all feel like no matter what, it's going to work out. So they've had worse experiences and I guess they're optimists. They're saying, we don't think if there were to be a further, um, you know, lockdown measure introduced that it will be as long as the ones before. Well, having said that, it is our privilege to introduce the one, the only Toronto City, senior city planner, 
How long can I draw this out for until his uh, video and audio catches up? I don't know. But, C-O-T. Uh, Jens. Well, maybe we can edit this uh, a little bit later. Ah, uh, it's okay. Yeah, he, uh, he's directly responsible for laneway housing. Yep. How do we feel about that? Do we know? Uh, laneway housing is good. Housing is, housing is great. We love housing at the Toronto Real Estate Show. Housing. The more housing, the better. Yeah, create housing. That's it. Absolutely. Everybody needs you know, a different type of housing, and you get to decide. It's a free world where you'd like to live. I think if you could have a laneway house, you should be able to have a laneway bridge to the other house. And if there just so happens to be some more square footage along the way, yeah, like on each side of like the a powder, like a bridge, room? yeah, or who knows, like you know, like a couple of bedrooms, yeah. yeah. But they're floating, like they're bridges. Yeah, they're just decorated. Oh, you dialing there. in. Hang on a sec, folks. This is a first. I don't know how this is going to work. Let's see. You are here. Let's see. All right. BK? He must Let's be out of the city. He must how be adaptable city we are. Office. City office? Yeah. I mean, it is two o'clock on a weekday. So, yeah, that's all. Yeah. Oh. Hey. All right. We have video. We, I think we have audio. Maybe. Hey, perfect. Hey. There oh, he is. Maybe he's got the home, the home, uh, the home Wi Fi. Excellent. No, you, know, you gotta enter like forty numbers. Just I agree. I know. I know. We're, the 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 invitation guy. He's he's. We're working we're on to that. Find a new one. We're trying to. We're working on that. that. Greg, I'm gonna give you a little. Fault, not yours. I'm gonna give you a little introduction here because we are uh, we're going right into the show. Like I said, we don't want to waste any great conversations. I know we had a few chats there, and uh, you, you know you got lots of good stuff to say. So we want to just keep that uh, keep that going. Uh, Greg Yens is. Senior planner, Ewans. Oh, there you go. I made that mistake. That would have been my guess. Okay. Uh, he is the senior planner in the city of Toronto. Uh, over 11 years experience, project lead on uh, some of the more popular Toronto laneway housing review, uh, development application at Mervish Village, Cask Force, and Alexander Park, uh, which is awesome. That's straight from your LinkedIn profile. And we're going to talk about all sorts of good stuff today. How are you? So excited. Great. Yeah, good. Well, thanks for thanks agreeing for to me. do this. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to do this. That that's that's amazing. You've uh you caught my eye because of laneway housing. And when we were kind of discussing it, like we were going back and forth, I knew the Garden Suite initiative was there and they had done the reports and things were starting to get uh underway for 2022. And when I started just I said, okay, I need somebody who knows laneway. Uh, housing and somebody who's going to be able to explain a lot of the stuff behind it. It led me, you know, to you and I, and I found an article and then I did some research and realized that you would be the guy to talk to, but just through other conversations you've given me, you've also given me some other initiatives and other programs that are coming out. So I'm hoping we can tackle, uh, tackle some of those as well, too. I ha I come at uh, real estate from a very different perspective than TK. And I have a whole list of new, wonderful, and maybe not so wonderful things that have come out recently that I would love your opinion on and love to know your involvement in. Let's, let's talk about the laneway oh, housing first. Yeah, let's start there. So sure. Greg, what, what was your involvement from the ground up on laneway housing? So it was back in uh, 2017. Uh, there was a report that was put together by a group, um, Lanescape and Evergreen. They partnered on a report um, about laneway housing in the city. And they started talking to councillors and other people who were interested in this space. And uh, two councillors, specifically uh, Mary Margaret McMahon and, and uh, councillor now Deputy Mayor Anna Bailau, um, had to read through that report and decided to uh, put a motion on council to have city planning staff take a look at how laneway suites might work in the city of Toronto. And that was uh, sometime in the summer of uh, 2017. 
And by later that year, um, there was a group of staff put together uh, to take a look at this. Uh, so in so that's when I was asked to, to look at laneway suites. Um, you know, I'd done a few other things before that, primarily development review related. I worked on the uh, the Honest Ed site, um, as you mentioned, Alexandra Park. Uh, a lot of I've been in development review for uh, over a decade. So, um, but the city, you know, the larger uh, area study that was laneway suites is really interesting. And so, and I mean, it was, you know, it's, it's even more so now, but at the time, you know, we were talking a lot about housing in the city and then the price of housing and the way to incorporate, you know, additional housing options in neighborhoods and being a development planner for as long as I had been, you know, I'd received a lot of phone calls over the years. Hey, can I build this on this site? Um, hey, would I be able to build a house back here on this large property that backs onto a lane? And the answer was usually no. So I was really, you know, excited to put something together that could help change the answer people would get to why, yes, you can, and here's how you do it. And so anyway, uh, November of that year of 2018, we had a meeting at City Hall where we presented the idea of laneway suites um, publicly to everybody. It was at the council chamber and it was, uh, it was a really well attended meeting. And it had been 250, 300 people at that. And we had a survey that people could optionally fill out and drop off. Uh, we had over a hundred responses, which is pretty good considering the turnout. And, and over 90% of the people that came there were really excited about laneway suites. They supported them. They wanted to see the city move on them. So, I mean, that's where it started. There's a lot more to that and, and the next steps, but I, uh, you know, I, I could talk for a while about the process. That's, but that's so. when they got you involved is because now it became, uh, so I said landscapes were, you know, different companies that are involved. Mm. They're obviously getting calls from owners, homeowners and saying, hey, as a contractor, can you build on my laneway? Were there any committee of adjustment meetings, uh, OMB, anything like that, that had approved laneway suites prior to 2017? There's a few. Um, there's, there's one example uh, that I worked on off Dover Court, off Sky Lane. Uh, there's three houses there uh, that were built as sort of laneway houses, but they're it's a little bit of a different format than what we ended up uh, putting in front of council in 2018 for, for laneway suites more broadly. And there's other examples. Um, Cross Street gets mentioned a lot as a, a lane with housing on it. And you know, there's an article in the Star the other week on that, somebody looking at building a, a lot, uh, building a, a suite on, uh, or a house on a lot on Cross Street. And there's a few other ones in the city, but beyond that, they're fairly rare, which was also kind of the challenge for us because when we were looking at this, we had a lot of interesting examples of houses people had built on lanes, but you know they varied wildly. So it was you know to find an example saying this is what we're going for, this is what it might look like, was kind of tricky. Uh, so we we did use a few of the examples that exist in Toronto. And at that one meeting in November, uh, a guy who owned one of them showed up and uh, and asked me, he's like, hey, I see you're using the the house in my backyard, and I said, yeah, it's it's pretty nice. And he goes, great. You know, he was totally cool with it, but uh, you know, it was nice. People are. So people were really interested in this stuff. So what happened was, so, you know, there was this report put together uh, by a group who was interested in this. They talked to uh, those counselors and they put a motion forward to direct planning staff, myself and other staff in the city to, uh, to look at laneway suites. So that's what we did. So we put together, um, you know, all the expertise that we would need in the city. We had to talk to staff in the building department, parks and fire department and so on. And, uh, and then go out and do consultation. You know, that meeting we had in November, and meet with. There's a lot of you know stakeholders on this uh, in the public, the residents associations, BIAs, the building industry, people that are just generally interested in this. So part of the process of talking to all of them as well, and then you know putting together what our our best recommendation is in terms of policies and zoning provisions for laneway suites, which is what we did in uh, in May of 2018. So it moved fairly quick as far as as far as processes go. You guys put the whole process in place within a year. Yes. I can't even get feedback on my zoning application since August. <laughs> well, it was priority Bye. too because they've got. They've so got wait, hold on a, a sec. Okay, but okay. So we put a lot of resources as a city into this uh, laneway housing um, idea, right? Um, it must have taken some pretty decent resources to get it through within a year and a lot of people on board with this thing. So, so how many laneway houses have been built since this has been put in place? 
Well, as of May this year, we had building permit applications for about 250 suites. So I think the number was 241. Is that, that, that's how many are currently in for application? So that includes permit applications that have been, that were submitted from the day after, the day of the bylaw passing in 2018, all the way up until the start of May of this year. So, I mean, in the, the time since May and now, there've been more, of course, but that, so 250 odd building permit applications. And then there's a number of variant applications as well to the Committee of Adjustment. Some of the some of them overlap. Some of them you have a building permit and a committee of adjustment application. Uh, many of the building permit applications came in as of right, meaning they didn't need to go to the committee. They could build within the box that we established in the bylaw. Uh, and then there's a bunch of variance applications at various stages of the process, some of which have been approved and haven't yet submitted a permit application, some of which are still in process. Uh, and the majority of those have been successful at the committee that have come forward. So it's, and that's about in line with what we estimated, you know, the early uptake to be, right? Like once the bylaw is in place, you've got time where people actually have to understand what's in it. You know, architects, designers have to understand how to work with this. There's some challenging construction realities around this, especially if you're on a, a tighter downtown site, actually getting equipment um, and materials into the site can be tricky. Building basements, incredibly challenging. Uh, very, very few suites have those. And so, you know, it was, we're seeing a gradual increase in, permit applications. Every year since 2018, there have been more permit applications for laneway suites than the year prior. And that'll continue to be the case this year as well. So. Now let, let I, me ask your, your honest opinion or your, 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 for your honest answer, the, the time that was spent and the resources that were spent on that uh, increase in supply um, and future increase in supply it, like, do you think that there were other things that could have been focused on that could have helped out the current housing crisis, whether it's demand side, supply side, whatever? Um, like, are there, I mean, I got, I, from my perspective, I could have think, you know, add one story to, you know, 25% of the uh, development proposals and you would far surpass those numbers. So like, are there, uh, like, were there other things on the table that, that could have been worked on that would have had a bigger impact on the housing crisis right now? Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, looking at tall buildings and mid-rise buildings versus laneway suites is a bit of an apples and oranges comparison, right? Same thing with the, the processes. Like, you know, we're, we're doing more than one thing at once. You know, we have staff that are working through advanced development applications studies. I mean, it's a regular part of our work, you know, doing one and the other. Um, we have a staff that is primarily engaged in development review and another component of staff that is primarily engaged in policy development. And so, yeah, on a, on a per unit basis, um, you know, I think that what you mentioned earlier in your question about the long term is the point here, right? You've got in the city about 47,000 lots that are zoned for residential uses and about a public laneway. So in the long term, but yeah, like people are figuring this out. It's a, you know, it's a challenging thing to do. It's not the cheapest option in terms of adding a unit to a property um, versus building a basement apartment or an addition to a house. Uh, people are figuring it out. And a lot of people don't actually know they can do this yet. I get calls all the time from people saying, hey, I heard the city was looking at laneway suites. I live on a laneway. Can you tell me about this? And so what we're seeing, I think, is, you know, this growing in popularity a bit, especially in areas where somebody has built one, you know, I've received calls from people on the same lane saying, hey, my neighbor's building this suite. I want to know if I can possibly do the same thing. And, and chances are, you, know, you may be able to, but you've got those 47,000 lots. And of those, not all of them can accommodate a laneway suite because of, you know, building code issues or space. You, know, you just may not have space in the backyard to build one of these. You may not want to, right? But what it does is it opens up I think, you know, an important valve for the market to help address one specific component of the housing market. It's a similar thing that we're looking at right now with expanding housing options in neighborhoods, um, which I'd be happy to talk about as well, um, where we're looking at, similar to laneway suites, allowing for additional as-of-right housing types across the city. You know, about two-thirds of the city is zoned to permit only um, detached houses with potentially a basement apartment, and in very rare cases, a laneway suite, but most of that area of the city doesn't have lanes. So you're effectively at the, you know, the upper end of what 
the as of right permissions are on those properties. You you have in most cases the most you can ever get in terms of housing on those properties in a very broad geographic area of the city. So what we're looking at with this work is building in options for people to use, you know, a similar volume of house that you would build, but accommodate more housing units in it. You know, provide for more efficient use of land and more housing. Does that happen overnight? No. It's a medium to long-term play. And you know, it's one piece of responding to the housing challenges we're going through right now. It's not, not you know, the magic bullet, it's, it, but it's one important piece of the, the puzzle. Like yeah, laneway that's, suites. That's a great, that's a great like, answer, Greg. Yeah. Um, I, I'm nervous, right? Because now Daryl's like, hey, is this a good use of resources? How, how are we going to get more, more uh, you know, supply into the market? And you're right. Unless you turn open that valve, that was the expression you used, to be able to allow people the uh, insight into what can be done with their property. They're never going to know. And it is going to take time. And there's going to be, you know, maybe you don't need it. Uh, maybe, maybe you don't have the funds for it. The ones that I'm exposed to, I don't have, you know, 250 applications. I don't know that many of them, but a lot of them have been for family members. They're people who are building these suites for their, their kids and, and people that they know. It's not necessarily just a rental where they want somebody living in their backyard right? It's been done because the house size that they have or whatever, they want their kids to have their own space so they don't move out, whatever it is, but they've been building it for family members. And I think that that right away are the people who are going to be taking advantage. And, and over time, as people get used to uh, what it is, let's say half those lots, 20,000, 20,000 new units into the city on, on, a, on a lot that, you know, normally wouldn't have been able to accommodate anything because most of the laneway suites, I mean, let's be honest here, like the basement apartments are lousy. Right. Like, you know, you, you're talking about underpinning, you're talking about like square footage issues, you're talking about fire aggress. Like there's just a lot of issues to get a secondary suite in some of these old buildings. And it's way safer, way nicer. It looks prettier when you can just build a brand new structure in the back laneway and, and, and house the people. You need right? to have you need to have 20,000 people willing to do it and able to do it. Yeah, right? that takes time. That but takes a lot of time. If you don't have the policy time. in place, it never, it never works. All yeah. the other... It, all listen, the other it adds policies, it adds for sure. Yeah. All the other policies, like we've talked about, like, you know, mid-rise guidelines and things like that, they're already out there. And today, I, I really want to get into what, what's been done on the planning side, because, you know, that's what Greg's here for. And, and there's, sure. we've got great insight. So the so, garden suites now is almost just like a... Um, it's kind of, I feel like garden suites were forgotten about when they were doing laneway suites. Was it ever mentioned and you guys chose to leave them out of that? What was it? Yeah, we, they came up all the time. You know, it was two things. We were very specifically asked to look at laneway suites and, and in a certain geography as well, the, the old Toronto and East York area of the city, right? And that's where about 85% of the city's lanes are anyway. So, I mean, council's direction was what it was. Look at suites on laneways in this area. But also I think it's important when you're looking at these kinds of policy changes to keep a, a pretty tight scope around the work because ultimately you have to explain this to people in communities, in, you know, to residents groups, to counselors, and you have to, I think, make sure that the information is understandable. And you know, if you're, you're trying to load too many things in there, if it was garden suites and through lot suites and corner lots and laneway suites, you start to lose the plot a little bit. And I think the reason why we, able, we were able to get it done as quickly as we did and, and had success with it is because we had a very straightforward narrative and a very well-defined scope. And so I think it, the similar, a similar thing is taking place with garden suites. You know, laneway suites, they're, they're here. We can learn some lessons from them. But I think garden suites are fundamentally different. Maybe not fundamentally different because they're both houses and backyards, but they have some very distinct differences, right? What are those? Well, when you're building a suite on a laneway, often you have a context of a row of garages, right? There's no side yard really between you and your neighbor's garage. You may have a garage there already, and it's likely that you're going to put the suite where the garage is. Um, you know, part of the reason why we don't require parking for laneway suites is because if we did, we'd eat into a lot of the ground floor space that you'd otherwise use for living space, right? So, but with garden suites, you have, you will have in a lot of cases, uh, lots which are you know, more central, you have more immediate adjacencies to neighboring properties. And so one of the things that we have to, you know, consider is, is that difference, right? How do you design a suite in a way which still, you know, implements the overall intent of the city's policies um, to allow for, in this case, what we're looking at is allowing for infill development while, you know, 
limiting impacts as you know where possible on adjacent properties. And that's a little more challenging to do on properties that you know you may have a garden suite on versus a laneway suite just because of where they're situated. So, but a garden suite is uh, where there isn't a laneway, so there could be a house behind you, and you want to put yeah. like a, a shed and have somebody live in it. Yeah, like, let's put it one way. Six hundred square foot apartment. It's going to be massive but, compared to what the the condo. No, so but have. you have to stay a certain distance away from the rear lot line set, in this case. Setbacks. Yeah. How far is that? Or what are they talking about? I saw two and a half meters on on a, a side yard setback or rear yard setback on one of them. I think that depended on your if you're going to have like a deck on it. I, I was reading some of the guidelines there. It seems reasonable for a, a decent lot size. You can build a two-story yeah, little house at the back if you're two and a half meters away from the rear property line. There's other things too, like height-wise, depending on how close the other house is. You've got some angular plane stuff. Like there was a few things is there, there that is there? are taken into consideration. Yeah, I I don't want to rhyme off all the standards, but there's yeah. if you go to the website, if you go to Toronto.ca/slash/garden-suites, there is a bylaw there's diagrams there's a video on there uh, narrated by one of my colleagues which walks through all the standards um so all the things you would have to know to determine whether or not you might be able to build it wasn't uh, like 30 feet property, so yeah it, it wasn't it wasn't like outrageous i kind of pictured how it would be no, in my backyard and it seemed pretty reasonable and we you know we test these on on lots across the city right you know we take a bunch of different areas different lot patterns and similar to with laneway suites you know we we apply the footprint uh, and the dimensions of building that we're looking to propose here and you know assess the viability of that you know it, like with laneway suites like we could have we could have made it very difficult to uh, comply with but you know if you don't have a side yard setback um you know the setback from the lane is more or less the same as what it is for for a garage and you know really the volume of the building is a two-story six meter high box eight by ten meters with a notch out of one side like it's you can design a lot in there. And when we originally proposed this, some architects and designers that we talked to felt that some pieces of this were a bit limiting. But fast forward a couple of years and we interviewed a bunch of people as part of the laneway suite work. And they were, you know, pretty happy with the way everything had played out. Like it's it's not a challenging envelope within which to design a very usable structure. And we've seen a variety of them. So I think, you know, similar to laneway suites, you know, should council uh, adopt the garden suite recommendations and the bylaw end up being changed to allow them, you know, we'll monitor this over a couple of years and then take a look and then course correct as necessary to, you know, continue to facilitate them. But that's looking down the road. You know, the garden suites are in front of planning and housing committee on January the 12th. Uh, so that's coming up in, you know, not too far away. So there'll be a report on um, them that's public sounds very soon. And, well, and we'll see. Yeah. We'll, uh, that sounds promising. I, um, because of uh, the situation when we were all working from home and kids were at home, that these office pods and you know out you know outside workspaces and you know different things like that started to really come about. Um, so I think that this is an idea. It's like perfect timing, right? It's just like there's been people who have been sitting at their house with their kids screaming in the background, doing schoolwork online, and their jobs are now online, and partners are both working at home, and you know it's distracting. And to have like a separate building in your in your back space has probably been on everybody's mind. And so now they can say, I can turn it into not just an office, but an actual suite and, you know, maybe Airbnb it, generate some income or do, you know, uh, a rental. Can for you my do kids. that? Are you allowed to do that? No, no. he's shaking his head. Now the, the, now the Airbnb bylaw applies to the, um, in the same way it residence. I'm living in the back. I'm just going to give up my bed for the night to the guy who's moving in for, for the Saturday for the weekend. Rented as a jam so space way, with a futon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the way the way it works, you know, with laneway suites anyway, um, it's designed as a self-contained unit, right? Full kitchen, bathroom, living space, sleeping area, whatnot. And you know, it's it can be used for extended family, for you know, extended household. It could be used as a rental space. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. Like people are using these um, in a number of different ways. Some of them are renting them now and have the idea to live in them when they want to downsize, but don't want to move out of the neighborhood they're in. You know, that's a big thing. That's you also mentioned thing. people with, Move to the backyard. with kids, right? Like, I think people have the, the real long-term view of, hey, you know, I see what's happening with, with property values right now. And maybe, you know, I don't want my kid living in the house when they're in their 20s while they're, they're trying to get themselves established. Maybe they live in the house in the backyard. And Sever these lots? A number of people as well. 
Are they yeah. are they severed lots or are they still one in the same? Like, mm. can you sell was, the the rear lane house? Generally, no. Uh, it's it's tricky. So there's a few reasons why not. Um, with the with laneway suites, you it's very challenging to get services separately into the rear yard. Um, you know, right now when you build a laneway suite, you often hang the services through the basement or you run them along the side yard. And by services, I mean water, sanitary. Yeah. How often whatnot, do they? Ha- right? How often do these houses have enough coming into the main house that they're okay, like as is for the new uh, laneway house? Or is so it like? It's, yeah, they, they have water can handle the only it. way you can do it. But the it's water can handle it, or you have to it. upgrade your water and you have to upgrade your sewers. You have enough fall it's like, like an to addition. get the drains. It's just, like a, it's just like adding on another floor. Yeah, but like it's that. at the same height. How do you get the drains to line up with the drains for the rest of the house? That's got to be tricky. It's underground. They're going up. That's that's not that's not. There's got to be drains in the lane. We did. We sold a property on. Uh, I was just looking up the address. Uh, Hepburn Alley, and it was a rear. It was a rear lot. And it was um, a lot that I think was just there that no one had ever built on. And uh, it was a really challenging property to sell because of the services. Because there, was, there wasn't a house to just go and get the services from. I think one of the neighbors was saying he would, but the cost was $200,000 to bring it down the laneway to be able to get it to that lot. Like it was, it was not cheap. It was a long, it was a long laneway and you had to bring it in from the street. It was, it was. I'm the only the guy challenge. who can do this. It's two hundred thousand. <laughs> That's what the quote was. Everyone was saying. It took a while. What? Eventually, someone came in and bought it. And, you know, maybe they'll do well, maybe not. But the type of house that you could build. Yeah. That... The other challenge was because it was like its own house. It didn't fall under the laneway suite guidelines because it's not part of another house, right? So it was like it was a it was a challenging um, situation that it was in. But services are services are a big deal. Services um, must yeah, be an issue. Pretty... Yeah. So hold on a sec. So. You mentioned it earlier, talking about yellow belt, and we kind of veered off, but that's like one of the biggest topics going on right now. Uh, I would love to hear, you know, what is going on right now. You, you said something that, that triggered something in my head. You said that um, in the same envelope that people would be able to, I guess, provide more uh, uh I guess, separate units. So in the same size space, you would be able to build three or four units. Is that what, is that what's kind of on the table or will you get more density if you're building more units? So we're still, we're still looking at this, right? But in uh, July of 2020, one of the, similar to what happened with laneway suites where council asked planning staff to look at laneway suites in July of 2020 council asked, planning staff to look at a whole bunch of different missing middle housing options for the city. So that's the, you know, the origin of the garden suites work. It's also the origin of a number of other pieces of work. Uh, one of which is multiplex housing. So duplex, triplex, fourplex, right? And there's a report on that that went to the November 25th planning and housing committee meeting um, that if you want to look through the agenda, you can find it, or uh, you can go to toronto.ca slash E-H-O-N expanding housing options in neighborhoods. And that's where we keep all the information um, about the expanding housing and house, expanding housing options in neighborhoods uh, project. So there's been a number a lot of acronyms reports. in your job. Yeah. Oh, got, planning job, something else. so much to, to think about all the time, right? And it's, I, well, the funny thing is, you know, you mentioned this stuff in meetings and you just see people's eyes gloss over. Nobody knows what I'm talking about when I say Ehan or OPA or ZBA, you know, but oh, I'm, we, sl- I'm like, well, this is, this is a dream here. The lingo. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking to a planner and we're not in an argument. It's the best. Well, we got some time still, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll talk about maybe. some M- MZOs totally. then. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I want to be the acronyms. That's a good so, one we can get to, but hold on. Let's talk yeah. about this yellow belt stuff. Because to me, if you're going to be able to, build the same square footage as somebody who's going to live in it, but you chop it into four units. Um, you can pay a lot more for that property than the guy who can just go and live in it. But if you were getting kind of more density, like you should have a, there should be a, a trade-off to building more units on a property, not just being able to, because there's a, there's a price consequence to every thing that we add into the supply, right? 
the so city of Toronto's policy. I don't know if they think about lower that. prices, or is it just to create housing? Like to me, I think they're more on the create more housing than try to control the market. I feel like that's more of a provincial and federal mandate. So, so a couple things uh, on the multiplex stuff, and whether there's you know additional density contemplated, or whether we're looking at doing it in you know within the more or less the box you can build right now. Um, you know, in some cases, the city that box actually ends up being quite large. Um, so you can do some pretty pretty great looking multiplex buildings that are very functional in that space. But like I said, it's underway. We haven't decided on what we're going to recommend to council yet. So on that same website, there is a survey that's open for the rest of the year. We've had about 8,000 responses so far, uh, which is a lot for a planning matter, as you can imagine. And it, it asks, you know, what do you think of multiplex housing and a number of questions about how we should be looking at these. So there'll be further public engagement on that, you know, in the next several months. And we're hoping to bring forward a report to council with permissions for multiplex housing uh, sometime in the spring. So, and uh, so I, the second part of the question I was going to respond to that, uh, oh, Price, price versus uh, supply. So, the the expanding housing options initiative is it's a market housing initiative. It's intended to provide additional housing permissions so that people can respond to that and build additional forms of housing and add more variety into neighborhoods. Right? Like right now, you mentioned it earlier. A basement apartment may not be suitable for a lot of people because of the way it's designed, because of the size, uh, and by people I mean different households. Right? Like if you're you know, a young professional couple and you have a young kid, maybe you want to live in a neighborhood, but maybe you can't afford to buy a detached house or a semi-detached house. You might not be able to afford to rent the entire house. And the only other option in most cases may be a basement apartment, and that may not work for your family situation. So the fact that, you know, we're trying to introduce laneway suites and garden suites, those in my mind are a little bit more, you know, of a palatable type unit for that kind of a family structure. And given the rents that we've seen on laneway suites, which are, you know, certainly higher uh, than basement apartments, but they're not in, out of whack with what you see in purpose-built rental buildings that are going up right now. In some cases, they're lower. Um, it provides an option for people that want to live in these areas. So that's what we're trying to do with expanding housing options generally. It's to provide to provide options. We're not, um, you know, we're, sorry. Well, if there is one of the goals or one of the mandates for you to increase the housing supply within those neighborhoods right now, not only along like the avenues or in the in the in the centers. Yes, that is that's really the main objective is to provide opportunities to increase the supply and type of housing in neighborhoods. But within the actual neighborhoods. Yes. Right. Okay. Just, that, that, see that? Ma- well, that all makes the nim- sense. All the NIMBYs are filling out those surveys, though. I can guarantee you. Oh God! This one's but a sensitive one. That's why not there's eight thousand people. Yeah, but it's yeah. not as many as this big overbearing 12-story property. The, I think those are the biggest NIMBYs in Toronto are the ones living in the detached housing and they don't want the, the fourplex on their street. Beside them? Right beside yeah, them. I think yeah, so. That's my feeling. Riff Raff lives in a fourplex. Only, exactly. you know. Below but the new us. fourplexes are going to cost like four grand a month to live in like the corner of one suite. of these things. Yeah, that'll be brand new suite. going to be gonna crazy. Be the children of the people who own the houses that they paid, you know, 120000 for in the 80s. But you're going to have a piece of backyard, one-fourth yeah. maybe of the backyard. Like so that'll be good. Scarborough, North York, there's a ton of wasted space. We, I go into houses where there's like, you know, one person living in 3,000 square feet on a quarter-acre lot. And it's just like, that is totally, you know, underused property, right? Like my dining room. Underused real estate. My dining room. I should be able to put a door where the window is and just block it off and rent it. Because it's yeah. useless. We've used it like... Especially in the last couple of years, we've used it like once, baby. Yeah. But that's, that's what I think is we've got underutilized real estate in Toronto. Yeah. And we're trying to figure out how to make the most out of it. I think, I don't know much about other cities and, and what they're doing, but to me, this feels like it's very forward thinking. I feel like city of Toronto is leading in this regard and that uh, they're trying to look into the future because by 2050, 2060, we know the population is going to grow. Have you been to Europe? Have you seen? There's like four-story buildings everywhere on every street everywhere. It's all apartments all over the place. That was, they've, they've been doing that That's forever. before they got screwed up by all the uh, baloney. All they the, a long time ago, right? Where, where they got it right. Expectations of size. When you had a city of Toronto being built in the 50s and 60s, everything, it was like, oh, go and get more land, more space. And we got caught in that 
um, cycle of, of uh, high expectations. And so now you got a bunch of people who think that they need to have 3,000 square feet to live or else they're going to be uh, living underneath the poverty line. You know, 300 square true. feet. We got to squeeze everybody back into apartments, you know, 500 square feet per person. That's it. That's your cap. You know, otherwise you got to pay a tax. <laughs> what about the thing is, I mean, like you mentioned Europe and you know, I went to Frankfurt a couple of years ago and we stayed with some people that we knew there and they live in this four story building and one floor is a whole unit and they have two kids. And like you said, there's a little backyard there in the evening. Uh, there was a couple of picnic tables out back and most of the people in the building it seemed um were down in the backyard their kids were all playing it was like 10 in the evening everybody's hanging out having a late dinner it was fantastic Fantastic. and it's you know people i think when you when you have smaller you know one-on-one conversations with people about this stuff i think they're actually really receptive to it for reasons that become very obvious when you start to present what these options are like you know the survey i mentioned earlier we've had eight thousand odd people fill it out um, over 80% of the people that have filled it out are in favor of the city permitting multiplexes everywhere in the city, which is a fairly high number. And it's been like that really since the beginning, you know, even when we had the first several hundred responses like that, that number has been a constant, which is great to see because we can see who fills it out, where they're from and, you know, not who they are specifically, but it's been people they're that not, live in all sorts like of different bots. accommodations, different areas of the city, different, um, you know, income levels, like it's, and, and, you know, that's, that's sort of the survey data, but, you know, anecdotally having talked with people about this stuff uh, for several years now, like I get almost most of the laneway suite inquiries that come into the city because my name is on the website. And if you call 311, they usually send you to me. So I like to ask people, you know, why are you building this and, and try to get a sense for why personally they're interested in doing this. And it's, you know, sometimes it's rental, sometimes it's for extended family, sometimes it's to downsize them later. And that's just sort of the, the tip of this, right? Because when you start to talk about other types of missing middle housing, how often, how of often are, present themselves. Sorry, how often are those people uh, saying that um, they're doing it to, to add inventory into the mix, not to make themselves more space? It's most of the time. Um, and I think the interesting thing about these is they're kind of temporal in nature, right? You have to build them as self-contained suites. So even if mm. there's a period of time where it's used not as a rental unit, the option is there. Whereas, you know, if you have a basement unit and you design it as, say, an in-law suite or something where you don't have a lock on the door and it's a galley kitchen, or not a galley kitchen, but, a, you know, not a full kitchen, you may not have the opportunity to rent it out in, uh, in the long term. But these, these can be different things over time, which I think is part of the appeal. It sounds promising. Um, I think I'm I'm, most, I'm more excited about the multiplex than the garden suites. I think the garden suites, there's a cost there that it's going to be hard for people to really uh, want to engage with. Uh, and I think the same thing, the same hangups as the Langway suites. It just takes time for people to you know make it worthwhile and be able to get the funding. But I think there's a ton of properties that guys already own oh, that are illegal duplexes and triplexes or more that need to be rooming houses. They can't do it. And I think there's going to be a ton of applications that guys will go to. I had a guy do a committee of adjustments on, um, I think it was on Rosemount at Dufferin and St. Clair. And it was a nightmare just to be able to get, I think, a duplex. I think he's, I think he's got the ability to do a triplex. I didn't get the whole explanation on how it works, but like he's got a gutted house right now just sitting there and it's basically useless and he's chipping away and it's mostly delays because of planning stuff, right? So uh, this will be a great thing for everybody who owns those type of houses, who wants to keep them as long-term rentals, keeps people safe, right? It's something that we we should be focused on is to make sure that anybody living in an apartment in Toronto has got the right to like a safe place to live and they're not forced to be yeah. in these these rooming houses and, and other stuff. So that's the one I'm excited about. Well, I think yeah, the point there about, you know, barriers to building these things is sometimes the process can take longer than people expect. And if you're not, you know, if you haven't been through it before, if you're not an expert in it, and even for reasons that you don't even foresee, it can take longer than you originally anticipate and projects can get bogged down that way. So taking some of the process out of the equation for this housing, I think is a good thing, which is why we're trying to put out as of right permission. So people just come in and they go to the building department with their plans and they get a zoning review and oh, it, it, it complies. You don't have to rezone your property. You don't have to go to the committee of adjustment. 
it's just a building permit process. That, that's where I'd like to get to. But, but we we have the ability already, even for mid-rise and high-rise to like we're kind of there. Like you guys put a lot of work into those guidelines, uh, even across the board. I mean, if it was if it was, why why isn't it just like okay, like these are the rules, go. Like we're not going to break the rules. We're not going to interpret them. You know this way that way or the other like this is what it says this is what it's going to be and you don't come to us for more because you're not getting more like this is what you can do build the best thing you can or the worst thing you can it's up to you well i mean it doesn't right now it, it kind of works that way and also doesn't right we have as of right zoning for stuff across the city including on major streets and areas where you would anticipate larger buildings right but not in all cases and in Cases even where we have, you know, what some would consider permissive and accommodative zoning for taller buildings or more density, um, you know, it, you're still allowed to come in and ask for more. That's how the Planning Act works. Anybody can come in uh, in a city in Ontario and make an application to change the zoning or the official plan or both on their property. And, and people do because there's, you know, that's an opportunity that's there for them. And they've, uh, they've done the numbers and decided, I think this works. They you know, may have a planner that has said, I think this, this makes sense in the, in the context here. And they make an application and council considers it. So we, though we do, we're constantly doing studies. Like Laneway Suites was sort of a, you know, unique example of introducing a new type of building, but the city is always undertaking, you know, these things called avenue studies, where we take a segment of a main street and effectively increase the land use permissions um, to make it easier to develop in a way that, you know, makes sense for that street, in our opinion. And people come in and they make applications to build taller. And, you know, we consider those on, on their merit. Some people come in as of right as well. So it's uh, all of this stuff's going on at the same time. It's, it's a lot of work, though, to continually increase permissions around the city. And since, you know, part of planning is consultation, um, you know, there's a, there's a real iterative process in this where we reach out to stakeholders and communities and, you know, build their input into the work it's not the determining factor it's one of the important factors that go into recommendations we make the council and then ultimately at the end of the day council is the one they're the body who makes the decision on this you know they they take our best recommendations and the decision they make is uh you know what goes forward unless it gets appealed and you know that's a whole other conversation to have but i think uh you know it's 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 interesting talking about this stuff and i mentioned you know consultation it's uh, over the last year and a bit, the, the tone of consultation, especially on housing, has become a lot more interesting. People are really like housing is the main issue anymore. It's all people want to talk about when it comes to planning. And, and that's a good thing because it's helping us, you know, build a lot of capacity around issues of multiplex housing and garden suites and other stuff so that people understand what we're, we're proposing and, you know, building up a level of comfort with it. And that makes it easier for um, our elected representatives to, to say yes to stuff when it's well consulted and well understood. If I was a developer, to me, I would be pushing that envelope. I wouldn't want to just look at as of right. I would say, hey, that's great, but <laughs> let me see well, where you else have I to, can add density, right? I know, but you have, to, you have to feel out the planners at the city you're working with, and then you have to figure out, is all this extra time that it's going to take for us to go back and forth to figure out you know, where we're actually going to end up worth it because every week, every day costs a lot of money, right? And so every time you have to reapply or you have to go to committee or you have to go to LPAT or OMB or whatever we call it right now, like all those things add up at incredible amounts, you know, on top of incredible amounts. So I, I think what start, I'm seeing in some, and some are outrageous, but Maybe you, maybe I'm crazy. Um, are people getting a little bit more reasonable on the asks nowadays, or is there a little bit more communication at the beginning between uh, sides? I, I think the most successful projects um, usually have that going for them. All right, the ones that move quicker uh, have a lot of early dialogue, not just with the city but with the community as well. Um, like, I, like Honest Ed's is a good example of that for me. You know, I, I was. We were engaged with West Bank and, and their team on that well before they submitted an application. 
and they were engaged with the community. They went out and they would ask, you know, here's here are a bunch of questions we have. What do you want to see on this site? You know, and they may have had a bunch of the answers in the back of their mind already. But, you know, I think the more that you have these conversations, the more people bring up interesting ideas about how you can approach stuff. And then it kind of gives a bit of a shared ownership of the process and, you know, input is reflected in, in the outcome on that property. And that's, that's like exactly what happened on that site. You know, that, came, that building came in, the five of them anyway, uh, on that property. And the tallest one was, was 29 stories. And I remember that meeting when they presented their plans, they made them public and people were shocked that, you know, a 29 story building at, at Lauren Bathurst, this is three times as tall as anything in the area. You know, the tallest thing being B Street, which is across the street. And, and otherwise much, much taller than the surrounding neighborhood because most of the stuff is two and three, maybe four story houses. And then, you know, so I think if they had applied and not done really any of the background work on understanding, you know, what people want to see in the development, it would have been received a little bit differently. And then going forward, you know, we, with, we had conversations about, all right, you know, there's a bunch of heritage buildings on the site. How are we going to incorporate those in a way which makes, you know, for an interesting Markham Street? Because Markham Street was a, you know, real special place. Um, you know, how do we, is there, is there a park? You know, how do we include affordable housing in this? How do we, you know, add interesting stuff that is going to, you know, enhance what ends up on the site? Oh, and, you know, there's also going to be a bunch of housing. When that got approved, I think the tallest building on that site is 28 stories. So it's not like they came in with something untenable and then got knocked down a bunch. Um, you know, you people do criticize uh, what happened on that site sometimes for, you know, shedding 200 units from when it came in to when it was approved. But if you look at the chronology of what happened, what originally came in, you know, it didn't have a public park, which is objectively a good thing. You know, that is a good thing on a site like that because they're very hard to build especially in areas where you have a, you know, expanse of detached housing, which is one costly to buy and two good luck accumulating enough sites to make a park, you know, and two, you know, those are, this balancing act we got to play here. You, you, one site isn't going to address all of the problems in an area, but we can make in incremental progress on housing, provision of parks, affordable housing, and then building really interesting spaces like the market at Mervish village. Um, and a lot of the commercial spaces are going to build there. You know, the Honest Ed Valley, oh, I could go on, right? I, I like the project. And it's, uh, you know, because of all that stuff and how they develop that, you know, with their expertise, but with input from the community, it got supported. It didn't go to the, the T-Lab, the OLT, rather. Um, it was approved and the building it. And I drive by there, you know, every now and then and think, oh, this is, I can't wait to walk through this place. It's going to be really interesting. But man, is it a departure from what was there before? my god it looks so weird just even i was driving down bathurst the other day and it just it was like that something just doesn't look right and i love it though like it's just boom it's like 45 years i've been driving that same way and not seeing anything and now it's like it's like young and bluer it's great I, for me from my perspective when i hear 28 29 stories i think at bathurst and bluer like what a travesty that's so low Right. But I mean, I can imagine what all of the, the, the people that live in the area must have said. I mean, it must have been all the typical stuff. Right. People were complaining that there's going to be too much traffic and how dare you go so high and you're going to, you know, put shade on my property. And how dare you this? How dare you that? But at the end of the day, I mean, look, you guys gave them 28 stories, which. Yeah. Looks just just as a as a complete, you know, layman here on, on the development side. How do you, what's the um, concession that the developers make for that height when it comes to shade? When it comes to what, sorry? To shade. Like obviously 29 ah. stories, there's going to be shadows. in. <laughs> they had to buy yard. a lot of houses and they, they probably had to have an angular plane still. Yeah, I mean, there's, so we, there is a, you know, an angular plane that, you know, most of the site fits under, but not all of it, right? That's what you I know, mean. I like think it's, the it's one, that's just one, one tool, right? That's one tool that we use to help shape the outcome of development, but it's not, you know, the be all and end all. Like if something doesn't fall under an angular plane, it's not objectively bad planning, you know, it's all right. context specific, right? Okay. You, and on a site like Honest Ed, that's what we had to do. We had to balance the fact that, okay, this is a really big opportunity site on a trans well on all of the transit lines you've got a subway a streetcar and a bus line you've got the future cycle tracks on blur street 
you know, you've got a neighborhood that is very low density, you know, relatively speaking, compared to, you know, how close it is uh, to the downtown of the largest city in Canada. And, you know, so we have to balance the objectives here. We got to provide opportunity for a lot of housing, a park if possible, you know, reuse these heritage buildings on site in an interesting way, build some interesting commercial space. And, you know, there will be impacts on adjacent properties. So we have to, you know, weigh that out. And ultimately, that's how we, you know, we, we end up having to write a rather long report to council to rationalize all this stuff. And that, you know, all the work that I just talked about goes into that report and council either says yes or no. You know, that's, uh, okay. yeah, good so to it's know. a balance. So, so we've also very recently had in in the news a couple of other things that are really important, I think. One being inclusionary zoning, which we already kind of, well, we touched on affordable housing, which inclusionary zoning is supposed to, I think it's, I think it's supposed to be an answer to affordable housing. Maybe it's not. May, may, look, I'm, I'm starting to think things a little differently now. Planning may not be necessarily looking towards the same goals and outcomes as the province's like growth plan, even though you'd think it would be in line. They have different agendas, right? Like I, for, from a from a developer's perspective, I would think that we would want to put more density on a bigger development site. But you're saying that you guys are looking to you know spread it out through the already existing neighborhoods which are totally different but we're doing both right you know, I, I, I think yeah even, I get though, it. even though we're talking about expanding housing options in neighborhoods which i think is you know a very worthwhile thing to do even though it in of itself is not the answer to all of the, the housing problems that's still no reason not to do it sure. it is one piece of it but we're yeah. still going to experience the majority of growth in the city in the downtown on the avenues in the centers and I think what we do very much you know, aligns with provincial policy. It, it kind of has to. It's a hierarchical thing where, you know, the, the place to grow, the provincial policy statement, the planning act all inform the city's policy documents. And then the zoning on a property has to align with the official plan, um, which aligns with all the provincial documents. So it's a real top down approach. And even though, you know, the provision of housing, including a range of housing, is, you know, one of the key pieces in the provincial policies, not to mention in the, the city's policies right now. There's other stuff in there as well that talks about building complete communities. And that's, I think, a really important piece of what we're trying to do with expanding housing options and the type of development that you see at Honest Eds, right? The housing piece is important, absolutely. And we're trying to build more opportunities for that. Um, you know, complete communities encompass other things as well. You know, we're, one of the things we're looking at is uh, local commercial permissions through expanding housing options. You know, the corner stores you would find in neighborhoods where you could go and pick up produce or, you know, like really anything you might need to cook dinner and you don't want to drive out to the grocery store. You know, something that's a five, 10 minute walk away if that and or, or a cup of coffee even like those places are very, very hard to to establish nowadays because of the, the zoning. And so we're looking to make it easier. So on on a, you know, yeah, the, the lens of complete communities happens on, you know, uh, site like Honest Ed's and a, a wider scale, such as what we're looking to do with neighborhoods. But it's very much consistent with what the province wants us to do, you know, grow housing, but maintain and build livable communities. So what's the goal from the planning perspective for inclusionary zoning? What, 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 that, what, what, is, what is the hope to accomplish with that from the planning perspective? Well, I think it's another one of uh, our tools to, you know, address the range of needs in the uh, you know, in housing right now. So that's for, that's say, like a community I, not, building thing, right? That's like a more. Well, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not involved with the inclusionary zoning stuff specifically. I'd, uh, you know, I, I don't want to miss. We can, we can bad mouth it then. That's okay. No, I'd prefer if you didn't do that either. But uh, <laughs> I just, I won't be able to give you any real in-depth answers on that um, because you know it's not not something I'm directly involved with, and I know a lot of staff that have done great work on that and i'm interested to see how it plays out you know now that it's been approved and the, you know there was a lot of commentary on either side of that that uh, issue so you know we'll we'll see how the, it plays out and i'm I'll be really interested in that i guess part of our like on the show because we've talked about it a few times we just find it hard to uh understand how this is going to create you know much more affordability maybe some people will have 
more affordable units, but it'll actually create the other units to be more expensive because the developers will end up passing on any of those, uh, you know, premiums that they've had to give uh, discounts to. They'll have to pass those on to the other buyers who are in the market to buy their quote unquote unaffordable market units. Right. So it's like, overall, is that really going to, you know, take any, uh, sizable chunk out of the, um, out of the demand side and really create more opportunities for people. It's hard to say. And I, what I like is, and your answers have been good based on all the answers I've heard from different people in the government and, and different people. Cause I realize there's not one answer to any of the issues that we've got. There's not, there's no chance. There's no, there's no paintbrush to just go and take everybody out and say, there you go. Problem solved. And I think everyone's just got to work on it. I think everything that city of Toronto does, I'm not a developer. So I think the city of Toronto does a great job. You know, you guys have never done anything that I feel is, you know, not in line with the, the goods of the people and the population of Toronto. I think uh, it's a tough job and it's definitely a city that uh, is not easy to do planning. And it's a major, major, major city. We can't compare ourselves to other places, you know, and New York got to get when New York built up. It was like, you know, it was a long time ago, like things were getting pushed through. It's like they, when they really intensified, they were they were way before a lot of stuff on planning was known. Have you guys been to New York City? There's garbage everywhere. It's horrible. <laughs> like who wants to live there? Right. So I don't want to live in a city like that if it ends up being, you know, pushed through too quickly. So I realize things take time for a reason. Right. I think that's the, you know, my takeaway from something like inclusionary zoning or expanding housing options or really any of the things we're doing right now on the, the housing um, side. It's if you look at any one of those pieces in isolation, you know, it might fail to address certain things. But I think when you take everything that we're trying to do, whether it's, you know, the, the two things I just mentioned, whether it's approving development through the normal, you know, uh, course, whether it's improving that process, whether it's increasing permissions on avenues and main streets, you know, things like the downtown plan, stuff that makes it easier for people to build all different varieties of housing units. And then, you know, there's a role for government to play here in terms of building housing. You know, we used to build a lot more affordable housing than we do now. That's, I think, an important piece of the puzzle that has to get addressed. You know, there's a, the market's going to build, the housing is going to build. It's not going to build its way to affordability, I don't think, you know, without all of this other stuff that has to happen. And, and part of that is government investment in affordable housing options. They're trying. They're, I think we've got uh, some stuff in the works. I know the federal government's made some announcements. Daryl and I are going to do a video on that later this month, um, or I guess first thing into January to layer. Uh, I know the province obviously has, has, has done their, their side of things. The city's only got so much power and resources and time to be able to, you know, put into, uh, put into if this is even an issue. Like, if, are we in a crisis? Is this something that is, you know, just part of a cycle? Is it something that's going to solve itself? These are all questions on the real estate sales side, right? Because this is where I'm hearing directly from the people who don't have housing and can't afford it and whatever. Um, is this even something that is going to be an issue? Or are we going to look five years from now and say, oh, good thing we didn't uh, act too uh, you know, uh, quickly or, or uh, irrationally because this problem solved itself. And now maybe we have all these baby boomers moving out of their houses and going into homes. And now we've got all this inventory that we don't know what to do with, right? Like, we just don't know. There, there's a lot of information out there still. Can, can you help me direct a whole bunch of policies that work in my favor? <laughs> <laughs> Give me a couple of hints here. What are you looking for? What do you need? No, I'm just kidding. This is all great stuff. You opened up my brain a little bit, right? Because I, I have a very narrow focus. And for me, it's very like, why don't they just do this? I don't think of, you know, all the stuff that you guys are actually doing as well as all the stuff that I think should happen for my own benefit. This is a, this was a great conversation. Very, yeah, Darryl, very. has got an application in, so he's he's trying to figure it all out, and he's going through the process that I'm sure you know very well. So. Do, do we have enough planners working for the city? What, what do you think about that? Could we double the amount of planners right now? Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, we've hired a lot of people this year. Um, we, you, I don't know. I, I don't know that we're running at a, a full staff complement right now. I don't know who is in this environment right now, but um, you know, I, we're, we brought in a lot of great people this year. 
And do you, do you, you think know, that I, full staff I, environment pre-pandemic uh, was enough to handle the workload that there is at the moment, or even then, which is probably pretty similar? Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to say, right? I I think a lot of the you know the easy sites to develop are gone. I think a lot of the major development that comes in is extremely complicated and benefits from having, you know, a lot of staff time to, to look at it and to, to move it through the process um, in an effective way. And so, you know, is that an argument for, for more planning staff? I don't think we're going to turn down more help on, uh, on our work, but uh, you know, things, things are certainly, you know, things can be more complicated. It's um, you know, there's a lot happening in the downtown. I mean, drive downtown. I mean, how many, how many construction sites yeah. do you see? How many, right? It's, and, and each one of those buildings has a, a planning process behind it. You know, I mean, a lot of people just, you know, understand, they see the sign go up with the, the rendering of the building and then they don't really, maybe they don't follow up for two or three years. And all of a sudden there's, there's uh, vehicles on site and a big hole in the ground. And, and that's all they two see. Two to so three a lot years. That goes into it. I wish. Maybe shorter. Maybe shorter. shorter. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I Greg, love Greg, it. This, is, this has been a great conversation. What a um, great I really hope we can do this again, you know, sometime in 2022, get like a follow-up on some of the stuff. It won't be too soon, I promise, but I know you're a busy guy. Um, but we really, like, really appreciate it. You've been very candid today with us and the listeners will appreciate it. Um, our listeners, you know, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, check us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts as well. And uh, we really appreciate it, Greg. We need a Thanks part so two. Thank you. Yeah, we need a part two. I didn't even get half my questions out here. Send him an email. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, happy to happy to chat another time, and uh, I'd be happy to follow up on this this housing stuff as it uh, it comes out over the next year. You know, I, yeah. Let me know. Let me know what you think. It's, Our uh, new expert on the show. We need to get him a background. Yeah. Our new planning expert. This is fine. It That's worked. perfect. That was great. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Really appreciate right. it. Thanks, Greg. I'll send you. I'll send you a message. New on CuriosityStream. Have researchers figured out a mathematical formula for success? A clearer understanding of how success happens could lead us to change the rules. Gain a new perspective on getting ahead. It's science of success. And the U.S. won the space race, but not without help from the Nazis. They were just years ahead of us. Meet NASA's rocket scientists of the Third Reich on the moon landing and the Nazis. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.